0: Welcome to a special episode of Scripture Gems. Now that we finished our study of the Old Testament, we're left wondering, what happens next? Hey, what does happen next? Well, how about, John, if you stand here at the end of the Old Testament. Okay. We just finished the book of Malachi. Right. So you're in about 430 BC. Correct. Now, I'm going to walk all the way over there to the beginning of the New Testament, okay?
1: Wow. Are you almost there?
0: Okay, so I'm all the way over here at the New Testament. Can you see me?
1: Just barely. It looks like you're over four centuries away.
0: It's true. I'm all the way over here. Let me come back to you.
1: Okay. Wow. Well, listen. You got your exercise
0: in today. You can see there's a lot of distance. So what happened during that time period between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New That's what we're going to talk about today.
1: Let's find out together. Our exploration uses as its source material three articles from church publications. We will link to them in the description if you want to learn more about this period. When the prophet Malachi stepped off the earthly stage around 430 B.C., no genuine prophetic voice was heard again for more than 450 years. We know this period as the Intertestamental Period, the gap between dispensations in the Old and New Testaments. Without a prophet, people in the land began to divide into parties and groups, each claiming the right to interpret the scriptures and lead the people. The true understanding of Jehovah diminished among these groups. A long night of confusion followed, which ended when God sent a new prophet, John the Baptist, to begin a new dispensation. But even with John the Baptist and the Savior teaching the people, many were unable to overcome the traditions and beliefs that had developed and intensified during the intertestamental period. As we understand these 450 years and the confusion that accompanied them, we can understand more about the Savior's ministry and renew our commitment to follow Him.
0: Right. God wanted Israel to be a holy nation, to become Zion, in which the Lord declared he would make his abode forever. But for years, many in Israel denied, dishonored, persecuted, fought, and rebelled against the prophets. Prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah warned Jerusalem citizens that if they continued breaking their covenants with the Lord, the city and their temple would be destroyed. This prophecy proved true when Babylon initially invaded Judah around 600 B.C., destroying its villages, towns, cities, and religious life. Jerusalem finally fell in 587 B.C., and the exiled Jews were forced out of their destroyed homeland. A few people remained in and around Jerusalem, including the Samaritans, who eventually intermarried with non-Israelites.
1: Around 539 B.C., Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon and permitted Jews who had been brought there as captives to return to the land of Judah. The Jews who chose to return brought the Aramaic language with them from Babylon, and by New Testament times, it had replaced Hebrew as the spoken language of most Jews. With permission from Persian rulers, the Jews rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem around 516 B.C., Old Testament books written during the Persian period include Daniel, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Because the Jews rejected the Samaritans' offer to help reconstruct the temple, the Samaritans built an alternate temple in the late 4th century on Mount Gerizim, some 40 miles north of Jerusalem. Thus, the worship of and belief in Jehovah fragmented between the New Temple at Mount Gerizim and the Jerusalem Temple because they offered competing claims of priesthood authority.
0: But this revival did not last long. After Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, written about 430 BC, as the prophet Amos had prophesied, the Lord sent a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water but of hearing the words of the Lord. This pivotal change had major consequences as people attempted to understand and live the law without a prophet's authoritative teachings and interpretations. Many Jews felt that the priests and Levites did not fulfill their responsibility to teach the law correctly. So a new group evolved who sought to teach the law, scribes. Scribes originally were educated men who made their livelihood as record keepers and as copyists of the scriptures. These they studied diligently, both to understand their meaning and to detect scribal errors. The scribes supplied copies of the scriptures to the growing number of synagogues and also became teachers of the law. While Israel had prophets, the scribes remained copyists and teachers. But when the prophetic voice ceased in Israel these experts in the law of Moses began to fill the vacuum. They modeled themselves on Ezra, who had helped his people feel an urgency to learn and obey the law. A major factor contributing to the rising power of the scribes was the shift of the common language of the people from Hebrew to Aramaic. Though sister tongues, the languages were different enough that Jews who spoke only Aramaic had trouble understanding the Scriptures so the people had to rely on the scholars to interpret and explain them. It should not be surprising that there was no unity of interpretation among these scholars, nor that they worked to bring others to their different viewpoints.
1: The protections of the Persian Empire were about to come to an end. Alexander the Great conquered the region in 332 BC, desiring to spread Western thinking and culture. Many Jews left the land of Judah to live in other Greek cities, furthering the dispersion of the Jewish people. The presence of Jewish communities and synagogues throughout the Mediterranean world later facilitated the spread of Christianity in the first century AD. New occupations such as tax collectors and hired day laborers found their way into Jewish society during the Hellenistic period, meaning the time of Greek cultural influence. The Jewish governing council, the Sanhedrin, was formed during this time. In the 3rd century BC, the Old Testament began to be translated into Greek, which had become the common language of the Mediterranean world. The Finnish translation known as the Septuagint was the scripture commonly used during New Testament times. Most of the quotations of the Old Testament found in the New Testament are taken from the Septuagint. This Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures later proved to be of special value in spreading the Christian faith to the Gentile world, for it made the religion of the Jews available to the civilized world.
0: Right. Now, after Alexander, his kingdom was divided among his generals. In time, Palestine came under the influence of the Greek-speaking Seleucid emperors, In 167 BC, the Seleucid rulers, believing that a complete Hellenization of the region would bring stability to the kingdom, outlawed the Jewish faith, forbidding circumcision, Jewish scriptures, and desecrating the temple by sacrificing swine, eventually placing an altar to pagan gods over the temple altar. Many Jews resisted. A priest named Mattathias of the family of Hasmon and his five sons led a Jewish revolt in 167 BC called the Maccabean Revolt. Within two years, Maccabean forces had recaptured Jerusalem and rededicated the temple. The Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, mentioned in the New Testament, commemorated this momentous event. Maccabean leaders succeeded in establishing an independent Jewish state, for the first time in over 440 years, Simon Maccabeus, a son of Mattathias, became both high priest and governor of Judea, thus establishing the Hasmonean dynasty. At the same time, another religious group formed known as the Hasideans, the Pious. They showed their devotion to God by trying to live every aspect of the law of Moses as they understood it. By the way, this information about the Maccabean Revolt can be found in the book of 1 Maccabees, which was in the Septuagint and a part of the Bible for well over a thousand years. It was later labeled as part of the Apocrypha by the Protestant
1: movement. What an interesting bit of trivia. I wonder how we might be able to find out more information about the Septuagint and the Apocrypha.
0: Well, you know, you could always watch our video on how we got the Bible. It's on the Brother Fulmer channel.
1: Let's do that. But back to the discussion. Other religious groups also emerged during the intertestamental period, each claiming the exclusive right to interpret the scriptures. The Pharisees were an independent religious group that came into being soon after the Maccabean War. They became very influential in Jewish society by introducing a narrow focus on food laws and on ritual purity, aspects that were rooted primarily in their oral traditions and not scripture. In their homes, they tried to behave as if they were living in the temple.
0: Now the Sadducees, on the other hand, whose origins remain unknown, rejected any appeal to oral tradition and held strictly to the five books of Moses, turning their backs on the writings of other prophets. This group consisted mostly of the elite in Jerusalem society. By the time Jesus was born, they had expanded their power by asserting control over the Jerusalem temple. Each of these religious groups preserved traditions and doctrines that they believed were essential to lives of devotion, but because they lacked the guidance of a true prophet, they were left to their own interpretations.
1: But what happened to the Maccabees? Very quickly, the descendants of the Hasmoneans forgot that it was the Lord who had delivered them. Like Saul and David and Solomon, the members of the new dynasty were corrupted by the power and glory of the courts of power. The sons and grandsons of the Maccabees degenerated into a mode of politics as usual. And just over a hundred years later, in 63 BC, Israel was conquered by the Roman general Pompey. When Pompey took Judea for Rome, he appointed one of the Hasmoneans to be king. Antipater, an advisor to the Jewish puppet king, quickly ingratiated himself with Rome and took over power. Antipater was an Idumean, a people the Jews hated. He consolidated his power by helping Rome in their struggle against the Parthians, an enemy from the east that constantly threatened Rome's interests. For this aid, Antipater was granted the right to have his son appointed king of Judea. Thus came on the scene Herod the Great, a man who profoundly affected the history of the Jews. Herod the Great was brutal and vicious. This was the Herod who ordered infanticide in an attempt to kill Jesus. But he was an able administrator. The Romans were pleased, for he kept control in what was well known to be a troublesome province, and he was completely loyal to Rome. The Jews were given very limited political power through the Sanhedrin, a religious and political body traditionally composed of seventy-one men and presided over by the high priest. Herod reinstated Greek and Roman culture in Judea. In conjunction with this Hellenization, He undertook great building programs throughout his province. In order to gain favor with his subjects, he began an elaborate expansion program on the Temple Mount, eventually making the temple into one of the marvels of the ancient world. This building program was still in progress in Christ's day. Herod the Great died shortly after the birth of Jesus, and the Romans divided the kingdom among Herod's three sons. They ruled as tetrarchs which is Greek meaning rulers of a part or portion, and not as full-fledged kings like their father. Philip ruled north and east of Galilee. Herod Antipas ruled Galilee and Perea. This is the Herod mentioned most frequently during the time of Jesus Christ's ministry. And Archelaus ruled Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. Because of his ineptitude, Archelaus was removed by Rome in AD 6, His territory became a Roman province ruled by governors appointed by Rome. These governors were first called prefects and then procurators from the time of Emperor Claudius in A.D. 41 onward. Pontius Pilate was appointed governor in A.D. 26 and ruled until A.D. 36.
0: So come with us now to the temple in Jerusalem. At times, during the intertestamental period, temple services were interrupted, but the rites continued during most of that period. Priests made the proper sacrifice on the great altar, and the people continued to pray daily as a priest offered incense upon the altar in the holy place. Then one day, a priest named Zacharias did not reappear from the holy place as quickly as he should have. The people began to marvel, and well they might, for once again the veil had been lifted. The humble and aged Zacharias stood in the presence of an angel. Thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and he shall go in the spirit and power of Elias to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This child would be John the Baptist, whose name in Hebrew means gift of God. Israel had a prophet once again, a forerunner who would prepare the way for Jehovah's coming to earth as the Son of God and the Messiah Judah had awaited for so long.